When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am JP Motor. <laughs> and we're here to celebrate the greatest yeah, songs in modern music history. history. We're, we're going to tell you what makes them great. great. Why we, we think, think they're awesome and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic, Rob. It's great <laughs> to hear from you. Uh, we're doing a song today. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what song we're doing because yeah. it's going to tie into my fantastic. We are doing... How long? Ooh, How long can we keep going on on this? Right? We're gonna keep going. Keep. Thank you guys for sticking with us. Um. So I just googled like I was like googled how long is, and I was like this could get questionable, but you know so whatever. So the first questions are obviously about how long is coronavirus, how long is the flu. Oh sure. Okay. So I'm like uh, blah 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 blah. Scroll. How long does it take to get to Mars? Um, oh. Let's just take how long do you think on the International Space Station? Order? I was going to say it depends on how fast your go kart. Okay, that's right. Okay. How long? Take a guess. It's, and it's, the International Space Station. Uh, I'm only saying this. I'm going to guess three years. Okay, seven months. Oh. So not quite as long. Okay. Me and Robert obviously right. uh, astrological, astronomical, whatever. Yeah. Uh, space wizards. Yeah. Um, seven months, and you know what? I could listen to the artist that we have here probably for seven months. For seven straight months. Seven straight months because of all of the stuff that he has been involved with, and guys. We have such a treat. Oh, man. This is one that we straight up geeked about. The man with the golden voice. Oh, yes. Paul Carrick. That's right, guys. Oh, my goodness. We've mentioned him so many times. We dedicated a whole. Uh, yeah, whole season opener. Season opener. To Mike and the Mechanics. Oh, man. Living years on which he was the lead vocalist. Oh, good. We are so. I'm serious. This is one of those that we like. We went, is this real? Yeah, we're like, duh, of all the interviews, let's not mess this one up. Seriously, yes. <laughs> Don't drop this one Let's treat Paul Carrick right and make sure he feels good. Like royalty. So we're going to start here, and then we'll make sure we talk about some of his other achievements, Absolutely. Too. But let's start. This is How Long by Ace. been gone. 
is How Long by Ace uh, from the 1974 album Five Aside. That is five dash A dash side. I guess somebody was talking about the record. Five, like five songs per side, five aside. Yeah. Uh, written by Paul Carrick. It went number 24 on the Billboard AC, that is adult contemporary chart. Number 20 in the UK. Number three on the Billboard Hot 100. And number one on the US Cashbox Top 100. Charted bigger in the States than it did in the UK, which, which I is always rare. find interesting yeah. for a UK artist. Um, but, and I also, I also find it weird when a song goes number one or, or in this case, number three on the hot 100, which is a sort of a conglomeration of what's hot on all the charts. And then it goes 24 on the adult contemporary chart. But how did it rank higher with everything? It should have been number one on yeah. that chart in its category. Yeah. So I don't, I don't fully understand how that works, but whatever. The bottom line is this is a bad to the bone song. Uh, and a bad to the bone artist oh, with yes. a bad to the bone lead vocal. Absolutely, my goodness. We've talked about this before, but we can't talk about it enough how we love Paul Carrick's voice. And I, I think we talked about before for me how I discovered, I came to the realization when we're when we're uh, talking about Mike and the Mechanics that Paul Carrick was one of my favorite voices, and I had just never put. The put put two and two together on who he was because he's been involved in so many different things, right? He's had mega hits like this one, which you're still hearing on your radio with multiple uh, groups. With multiple groups, yep. he's had he's had, but uh, he's he's also never fully gotten the shine that he deserves. He's been part of these groups, and so it's never been. Um, you know, even though he might have been the front man or a front man, it's not Paul Carrick and Ace. Exactly. It's not Paul Carrick and, and Squeeze. Squeeze. It's not Paul Carrick and the and mechanics. Mike and the mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it's 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 funny because he sort of the name Paul Carrick kind of flies under the radar until you start getting in circles who know who he is, and then you start talking to people about him, and they go, "Oh, geez, that guy." You know, like incredible talent, incredible writer. Um, and, and just the, 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 the voice of his voice is so comforting, you know, there's just something about his voice that makes me feel at peace, you know, um, even, even on, uh, even on tempted by squeeze, it's sort of, um, play a little of tempted. Oh gosh, let's do it. And after that, I think we should drop in the quote about this song from another special guest. Okay. Oh. That's him on that sweet organ, by the way. We were 50-50 down the middle on which song, this one or how long. And Paul's like, let's do how long. So we're like, okay. Great chord. Do you remember this song from an underwear commercial? No. Oh, Fruit of the Loom? Yeah. Yeah, I do now. <laughs> I forgot about that. I know I will. Tempted by the fruit of another. Don't sleep on that high piano part. I love it. I mean, come on. Ah, oh, yes. Paul Carrick, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my goodness. In my house, 
if one of these songs gets played, the other gets played. That's right. If, if, yeah. if Tempted gets played, then How Long gets played Absolutely. and vice versa. That's, that's good. The, uh, I, and we have uh, – we spoke with his vocal doppelganger yeah. in the past, uh, So and we've got a quote about that song yes. that I feel like we should kick it to him and let him tell about Let's it. Let's drop in. Ladies and gentlemen, here's a little bonus, uh, bonus appearance from our friend Dave Barnes. Podcast. All right, Dave's got a hot take. Yeah. This is imported from like his it. podcast. We don't even have like, headphones yeah, yeah. on yet. Okay. Hot take one. Yeah, this okay. is intro. So here's your hot take. I remember reading that Sting, somebody asked him, what's the one song you'd wish that you'd written? And he said, squeeze, tempted. There you go. Oh, gosh. It, but, but which, it, which that, that, anytime, I remember Stephen Chris Chapman asked, was asked that one time, and he said, um, um, what's the mic and mechanic? Oh, my God, it's a full circle. Living years? The living years. Oh, Paul Carrot. Paul wow. Carrot ties everything together. Everyone, how wow. about that, dude? For 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 to be, I mean, obviously, <laughs> SCC and Sting, yeah. you know, Steve Gers is the sting of CCM, but you sure. know, the, um, <laughs> one the, plays uh, an acoustic, the other plays bass. I, I, there is no more question that's more profound to me when you ask songwriter artists what's the one song because I think mm-hmm. it's such a tell. But dude, for him to be on both those, <laughs> but for Sting, Sting, Sting. Yeah, not the wrestler. Yeah, no, right. well, oh. that would count either way. Too. He yeah, yeah. He wrote it too. <laughs> but for him to say that one song is pretty profound. Because yeah. you would think he'd be like, it's Mozart's, you know. <laughs> He's like, no, no, it's, it's tempted. Podcast. Dynamite drop in, Dave. That's good. Dynamite Thanks for stopping drop. by. That's right. That actually wasn't me. That was not Rob pretending to be Dave Barnes. That was Dave Barnes was as Dave Barnes. Actually, Dave. Yeah, dropping in, dropping in his 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 feelings. Um. So yeah, how long? Uh, going back to how long by the band Ace. Um, and, um, I, I, they were originally, by the way, called Ace Flash and the Dynamos, and the Dynamos yeah. which, wow, is maybe the most exciting name in rock music history. <laughs> Ace Flash, Flash and, and the, the Dynamos. Dynamos. It's three things that are just like, kapow, kabam, kaboom. It, it's an action figure in a, a, in a band it's name. It's a Superman comic of punches <laughs> yes. in a band name. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, the Five Aside album hit number 11 on the Billboard, uh, 200. Um, a little bit on Paul, and then we'll uh, actually I'll save a little bit on Paul because I know we're okay. going to meet the band in yep, just a second. We'll Let me get into a little theory though on okay. this on this song. So we're in the key technically of E flat here, but what you're hearing is a B flat. That's going to be the five of the bass. We're in the key of E flat, but E flat never actually technically makes an appearance. A straight up E flat chord. It really lives in the relative minor key of C minor. Um, but even that really happens only in the chorus. Um, so we're in C minor, G minor, F minor. And so that's six minor, three minor, two minor in the key of E flat. And then the, the verse goes A flat over B flat into a resolve. And y'all know, we've talked about it before, I am a sucker. I am a sucker for a chord with its own seventh chord on top of it. And like an A flat over B flat, I'm a sucker for that chord. Either either as a four over five or as a flat seven over one, I'm a, I'm a sucker for it. Uh, so there's that. And then they, they slide up back up to the chorus in C minor using a, uh, a B minor chord to sort of transition. Um, so really the E flat never appears. The C minor does. So if you wanted to say this was in 
this was in C minor. I guess you probably could. It's the same key signature. It's just, uh, but it's interesting that the that the E flat never actually appears. Um, I've got a little bit on Paul Carrick, um, but I don't want to step on your toes. So I know you want to. I know you want to meet the band, and maybe sure, I can, can drop in some we of can this. Throw in some Paul Carrick before we actually meet Paul Carrick. Yeah, let's meet Ace. All right, let's meet the band. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, we're going to meet the band of Ace that played on this particular track. Um, all sing, so all are credited with vocals. So I'm not going to say, I mean, Paul Carrick is the lead vocalist, but I'm not going to say like on guitar and vocals. So just know in your mind and vocals at the end of these instruments. Um, on lead guitar, Phil Harris uh, did form Ace Flash and the Dynamos, who became Ace with uh, Alan Bam King, who is the rhythm guitar player. So kind of a, a powerhouse of, of two there. One thing about Alan Bam King, he played on Bryn Hayworth, Wings of the Morning album. Y'all out there probably don't know who Bryn Hayworth is, like I do. but he is a pioneer of Jesus music. Oh. And so for those of y'all that are deep into Jesus music, that's like Larry Norman, yeah. um, Keith Green, probably in there, Barry McGuire, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I grew up on Res Jesus. Band. Yeah, re- exactly. Glenn Kaiser stuff. So I grew up on Jesus music. So there for a little bit. Uh, my parents listened to a lot of that stuff. So um, so I knew of Bryn Hayworth. Okay. So the guy that played guitar with him was Alan Bam King. Okay. So there we go. Cool. Uh, on bass, um, Terry Tex Comer, um, multiple pub bands. He's your pub band bass player. <laughs> the Steelers, Sutherland Brothers and Quiver, Mickey Jump Band, Blues Patrol, Seven Year Itch. So, Those all sound very British. Pub bands. Terry Tex Comer on bass. Okay. Um, on drums, played with lots of Dublin bands, Some People and the Rock House, Fran Byrne. Fran, interesting name, Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E. Oh, okay. Oh, Byrne, like like uh, David Byrne. There you or, go. Or, okay. Not like George Byrne's. Okay. Spelled yes, completely that's, different. Okay. Not like, ooh, Byrne, like right. you got burned. Yes. David Byrne. We've never really talked about Fran him. Byrne. Are you talking, oh, you're talking I'm, about I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I went, uh, in my brain, I went somewhere. Yes. Are you a Talking Heads fan? A, a little. Not to the, ex- I have friends that love the Talking yeah, like, and I like them. Yeah, like I'm not like diehard talking. I've just gotten into them in the last maybe year. I and, have two uh, friends that love talking. Heads. I could, I could do, I could do a Talking Heads episode. Okay. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you feel that strongly, but we'll, yeah. we'll see as this progresses. But you're right, people, people worship David Byrne. Like if you're in that thing with them, you're real. It's like a Grateful Dead kind yeah. of. you know, we would die for David Byrne. Yeah, that's again. good. Um, and on organ, piano, electric piano, lead vocals, Paul. Come on. Freaking Carrie. The vocals. Jeez. Well, you talk on what you got on him, and then we'll talk with him. Well, I just, okay, first of all, so it, we, we, or at least I, put started putting together the pieces on Paul Carrick when we saw him. At the Clapton. As the touring keys player with Eric Clapton, which is insane. Um, you know, you think about, I mean, Eric Clapton can have anybody on earth that he wants in his band. You don't say no to Eric Clapton, right? Bruce Hornsby's drummer uh, for for... Gosh, 15 years was Sonny Emery. Um, and one day Sonny Emery gets a call from Eric Clapton that says, can you play on the, with me on this next tour? I'd like you to play. And he calls Bruce and says, listen, I just got a phone call from Eric Clapton. And Bruce says, you have no choice. Yeah. <laughs> this is Bruce Hornsby. That's you know right. what I'm saying? But, and, he's been, and he's been part of the band for 15 years. So he's like, you know, excuse yourself from the noisemakers. You, you get a pass. Yes. Go play with Eric Clapton. I'll pass to go play with Eric Clapton. 
So, uh, yeah, he's he's one of those hall pass artists. Then no matter what band or project you're involved with, if Clapton says, will you tour with me, you just say yes. If Clapton's like, will you come be my guitar tech? If Clapton's <laughs> yeah. like, will you run monitors? Oh, the answer, will you sell merch? Exactly. Sure. 100%. Um, yeah. So um, so we see Paul Carrick at that, and he, he actually closed the show uh, with the song uh, High Time We Went. Um and and did he basically did a little mini Paul Carrick set throughout the night? He did like three songs. I think he did "Tempted" and "How Long" and uh, and "High Time We Win." Um, he did everything but uh, the "Living Years." I mean, <laughs> you know, but uh, and "High Time We Win," I believe, was a Joe Cocker cover. Um, I don't know. I can't remember if uh, if he had covered it or not. But anyway, blew us away. We're like, who is this dude? Yeah. And so I, we you know had to look it up, and I couldn't even fully understand. Uh, his name, by the way, Clapton said it. I didn't catch Carrick quite right. It's a you know bit of an unusual name. Um, so uh, I had to do some digging, and then I realized, oh crap, he wasn't just covering those songs. Those are those his. are his songs, yeah. and he's the guy from Mike and the McKay. Holy cow! Yeah. This is the voice of my heart. Uh-huh. You know, like. Jeez Louise. So anyway, here's a little more on Paul Carrick uh, so you know that there's actual information on about about <laughs> him, not just us going, dude, Paul Carrick. This guy's awesome. Uh, he played keys on the biggest selling single of all time, technically. Uh, Elton John's 1997 version of Candle, Candle in, the in the Wind, Wind. was actually a double A-side single, meaning it was two singles released at once, and Paul played keys on the other A-side, something about the way you look tonight. Okay. So when that single went out, technically... Candle in the Wind is the biggest selling single of all time, but it was a double A side. And so all those sales, Paul Paul played on that one too. He played keys on that, okay? I don't even know. I didn't even look up the numbers on on that, but it was just insane. Do you remember how big Candle in the Wind? Absolutely. After I have Princess that, Die Died? I have that CD that's both of them okay. on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, that song was everywhere. Dude, could not get away from it. Um, he decided to pursue music as a career after a trip to a coal mine with a school guidance counselor. Um, the money in coal was good, but he didn't want the life, not to mention apparently he was claustrophobic. It's so, not the right gig if decide, you're claustrophobic. Yeah. Uh, not, it's not a great gig being covered in soot and, and you know, cooped up in a hole. Um, he also co-wrote Love Will Keep Us Alive, the most played song in the United States in 1995. If you don't remember that song, you, you lived under a rock in, in 1995, <laughs> you know. Could not escape Love Will Keep Us Alive. By Eagles. By Eagles with uh, Timothy B. Schmidt on, on vocals. Best... Um, Best hair in soft rock, yeah, I think. Absolutely. You know. Um, and then he played session keys for Roxy Music, The Pretenders, The Smiths debut album, BB King, Simply Red, tons more. The list of accomplishments of this man seriously goes on and on and on forever. Um, but why don't we let him tell you the rest of the story? We're going to talk about Pink Floyd. Uh, we're going to talk about Blue Eyed Soul. We're going to talk about Mike and the Mechanics. All kinds of stuff. I can't even play Mike and the Mechanics right now because it's just going to make everybody cry. <laughs> so I can't even do it. But if you want more Mike and the Mechanics. Play All I Need is a Miracle. Go back. There you yes, go. There you go. Uh, go back and listen to our Mike and the Mechanics episode from season three, season four. I can't remember. It was a season opener of either season three or season four, and uh, and we we'll go fully in depth on Mike and the Mechanics, um, and that song, The Living Years. Man, that was our Genesis Family Tree Day. That's right. We, we had did. three openers, kind of as yep. the we did that one. We did Sledgehammer, and we and did, we did the Genesis Invisible, Invisible Touch. Touch album. Yeah, so that was that was super fun. That was a great. I don't day. know that we should ever do that again. It was a lot. It was a lot of work, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, let's but yeah. So anyway, now let's take you to the interview, ladies and gentlemen. Paul Carrick. 
This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with the man with the golden voice, Paul Carrick, the one and only, one of our favorite voices in all of recorded history. Uh, And we're (laughs) so excited, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, It's a pleasure, man. Um, Yeah, it's good. It's a lovely sunny day here in uh, London. It's not bad. It's not bad here in Tennessee. Yeah, it's pleasant. Pleasant. Yeah, well, it, it's been outstanding here. I mean, 30 degrees, which to us is, you know, absolutely tropical. Right. But um, it's great. So good that I actually messed up and missed your uh, earlier call, <laughs> That's okay. for which I apologize. Hey, Don't sweat it. No, no problem at all. No problem at all. Well, we're going to come, as we talked about with you before, we're going to be talking about, we're in the middle of the, the How Long episode um, from Ace. So we'll let you come right out the gates and talk about what the song is actually about. Some may think it's uh, about sneaking around man and woman, but this is actually about your bass player. Am I correct on that? Yeah, that's true. It's true. Um, well, I mean, Ace, we, we were uh, just a, a, you know, a, a bar band, really, uh, playing around London. We were very tight, though. We had, uh, we, were, we were very um, close-knit outfit you know we uh we were all mad soccer fans for a start and we all used to play a lot of soccer and a bit of music we played in the around london the pubs around london this is around 1973-74 and around that time there was this whole thing they called pub rock which was you know basically bands who'd uh some of them had had record deals and and uh, fallen by the wayside or you know what have you but it was Basically, the idea was pl- you were playing for fun and um, and for beer money, I, I guess. But, um, you know, we were slightly different to a lot of the other bands in that we wrote quite a lot of our own material. Most of the bands did cover stuff, you know, soul, R&B and uh, rock and roll. And um, But suddenly some of these bands started getting signed up to uh, the record labels and we kind of thought we might have missed the boat, but we, we got a, we got some interest. And in fact, I think this song, which we were all by that time doing in our set, um, um, was catching it again. I was getting a bit of attention. You know, I think it might've pushed it over the edge that we, we managed to get a, a, a deal with a, a very small new label in, in England. Uh, they were called anchor records. So they were affiliated to, I think ABC in the States, but, um, Anyway, they signed us up on a you know a, a, a record deal, and they sent us off to uh, uh, Rockfield Studios. In yeah, Rockfield. Rockfield. But, but wait a minute, well, I'm jumping the gun here. You want to know what the song is about? <laughs> so, that's, that's okay. But, but um, yeah. Well, as I said, you know, we were we're kind of struggling, but we're we're having a lot of fun, and uh, we were friendly with this other band from London. Um, who were doing rather better than us. They had a record deal. They'd had a, the support tours of, I think they'd supported like Elton John and people like that in the States. And um, it, it so happened that their bass player, I think, got ill. And uh, they borrowed our bass player for a few gigs. And I think the bass player that that they had at the time was a guy called... Um, Oh, goodness me, I forgot his flipping name. <laughs> Who's the bass player in Elvis Costello in the attractions? Oh, Anybody goodness. know? Bruce Thomas. There Bruce Thomas. Sorry, Bruce. He'll never hear it. He'll never hear this. But, uh, <laughs> we'll make sure he does. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll send it to him. 
Anyway, so Bruce, I think, got ill, and they borrowed our bass player, Tex Coma. And um, he did a few shows with them. And, you know, I think they were pretty keen on getting Tex to join their band. And, um, you know, as I say, they were in a slightly better situation than us and they could offer him, you know, a, I don't know, 20 quid a week or something, which, <laughs> <laughs> you know, was luxury. And um, so I think Tex was thinking about it, um, but we were most put out by this, you know, it would have been a disaster. <laughs> it would have been a disaster for us, you know, because as I say, we were tight, close band and we're big pals. And I think we would have been, uh, it would really took the wind out of our sails. So um, actually, also, as, as I say, I jumped the gun there because this is, all, this is all before we had our little record deal anyway, but that is what the song is about. So how long has this been going on? And that's the friends with a fancy persuasion. <laughs> that yeah. other band, I don't know if we should mention, but that was Southern Sutherland Brothers and Quiver, correct? Is that correct? Yeah, it was it was Sutherland Bro- Brothers and Quiver. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think they're doing anything. They're never going to hear this. Right. And you hint, <laughs> since you hinted at Rockfield Studios, I do want to talk about that because that was, I know that's in Wales. And how awesome was it to yep. record there? That was the year before Sheer Heart Attack, uh, which was the Queen album, which had the killer, yeah. the killer hit, Killer Queen and all that. Which has that's actually one of my favorite albums by Queen. It has a song called "Flick mm-hmm. of the Wrist." I don't know if you've heard it, but it's money. Um, how was it recording at, at Rockfield Studios in in '73? Oh, we we had a ball. I mean, it was it was not um, it was not a posh uh, um, studio. I mean, it was held together by bits of string. You know, it, it literally <laughs> it was on a farm. It was on a farm. There was two. Crazy Brothers. One was much crazier than the other, actually. But um, <laughs> they put together the studio. You know, they were musicians, and uh, one of them was pretty good with a soldering iron, and they they used to do their own recordings. They gradually converted, literally, I'm not joking, a cow shed into a 16-track studio. That's and, awesome. <laughs> um, there were people like Dave Edmonds, uh, worked there a lot, you know, um, from Rockpile. And he did a lot of his stuff there because I guess it would have been cheap. But um, I think by the time Queen got down there, they'd, they'd gone up in the world a bit and they used another building, converted that into a 24-track studio. But the one we were in was 16-track tape. Uh, it was on this farm. There was a big field where we could play soccer all day and then uh, go and play a bit of music at night. Absolutely. And we uh, we were there for two weeks, and we had the time of our life. <laughs> it was great. Do you have an Do you have an affinity for uh, analog recording, or or have you really embraced you know the more digital side of things? No, I'm 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 not really. I mean, I had a I had analog. I had a digital. Uh, sorry, a, a tape machine in my studio here at home. But no, I mean, digital is so much more. You know, convenient. And oh, absolutely fast and it, it, it's it is great i mean i, I understand the people uh, who like the analog sound and everything but i mean digital is getting pretty good now and it's just so fantastic to uh, and easy to use 
really. Right. You think about, it just made me think you were talking about, you know, you had a a 16 track (laughs) and the difficulty that it was to, you know, if you needed more than that, you had to start bouncing tracks together and sort of, you know, submixing and pre-mixing all these things together and how easy, you know, 16 tracks on a digital recorder is nothing. You can do that on your phone now, you know. I know. I know. I mean, well, in a way that's great. It's, it is fantastic. But on the other hand, you know, you had to make it, decisions back then yeah and commit you know you had to commit to something you couldn't you know as you say uh record a hundred takes of a guitar and it's you know piece one together you had to sort of commit and and there was always the danger of rubbing stuff out as well which is right thank god for the undo button on a digital recording you know yeah absolutely yeah i think a, a lot of the thing that attributes to your sound is your producer john john anthony he's uh he's awesome he how did y'all discover him he was with uh he i heard he, i know he did the nursery rhyme album for genesis in 71 and he did the orange album for al stewart how did you guys find him didn't he no we didn't know him at all i mean okay. um, just kind of stumbled onto him well, we we didn't know anybody that made records. To be honest with you, we <laughs> we weren't making records at the time. But um, no, I think it was someone at the record company, uh, Anchor, put us in touch, and um, he was a, he was great for that first album because he just we just had a real laugh, and John was you know a funny guy, and he was experienced and confident. We we had uh, trust that he knew what he was doing and what he was talking about. So, um, as I say, all we had to do was just uh, play football, turn up and get a bit loaded and uh, play some rock and roll. But the, th- the thing was, and of course, we recorded as a band, you know, it's none of that sort yeah. of uh, isolated stuff there. We just we, we recorded as a five piece band and we were recording the songs that we'd been playing live. But we had nothing on tape that was any good for the first <laughs> week. And, uh, and then John started to crack the whip a little bit. And, uh, but, I mean, we were pretty inexperienced in the studio anyway. So, um, but it, it came together and, um, and, um, it was, it was great. Good was, vibe. Was that because you guys had studio jitters or just because you were a little loose from all the, uh, from all the footballing and the uh, getting loose? <laughs> Well, it's probably all of those things, but um, no, as I said, we weren't particularly um, experienced as uh, recording. And I mean, when you're playing live in a pub, everything sounds fantastic. And then when you hear it in the cold <laughs> light <laughs> coming back off the tape, but maybe not, you know, so we, uh, but but I think we made a, a real nice album, you know, it definitely had a vibe and it had a big hit on it, you know. Yeah, yeah, it did. It's a real, it's a really versatile album too, because yeah. you've got like the piano-driven stuff, like rock and roll runaway, but then you got a little more guitar-driven, twangy stuff, like sniffing about. Okay, the first time you heard sniffing, or the first time you heard "Running on Empty" by Jackson Brown, were you like, "Oh my goodness, that's so similar to to, to sniffing about"? <laughs> no, I never thought of that. <laughs> take a listen back to back and you'll be like hmm <laughs> really that's my take oh that's well my, that's my take. So it'll it, never stand up in court <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i tell you one funny story though yes we've, we've, on a similar similar lines was that um you know i have a a, a little bit of a affinity with um the eagles absolutely yeah, because, yeah we, we definitely because, want to go somewhere with that well, we can bring it up later, but it it, it, oh, it pertained. It's pertinent to uh, the how long because um, 
you know, um, I, I got to know Timothy B. Schmidt back in when we did our first tour of America in 1975. And Timothy was in the band called Poco. Yep. And uh, they were also on ABC. In, and and we got to, I got to meet him and we kind of kept in touch. And, um, and I, you know, reconnected with him when they did the Hell Freezes Over album. And, you, you know, that's another story because they did that song I, I co-wrote, Love Will Keep Us Alive. Yep. And um, anyway, it turns out that um, I, I, I wrote another another song for them for a uh, long road out of Eden. And, um, people was, I, you know, I was telling everybody, Oh, I got a song on the new, um, Eagles album. They said, Oh yeah, yeah, we heard it. Yeah. 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 They said, how long? I said, no, no, no. I've written a song called, uh, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear anymore. And I said, no, yeah, it was how long. So as it happens, the lead off single for long road out of Eden was a song called How Long. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it has some similarities, but um, Timothy told me that in um, about six months before the Ace record came out, they had recorded that song. No kidding. Wow. It was written by J.D. Souther, and they wrote this song, and they recorded this song, How Long? And then the Ace record came out and was a smash. <laughs> and they said, well, we can't do that then. Right, <laughs> and they just put it, they put it on the shelf, That's and wild. I mean, God, if that would, uh, if if it, you know, for a few weeks, maybe a month, that could have changed the uh, whole path of my career. That's <laughs> true. Wow. That's so That's I thought really that was a, that was amazing coincidence. Yeah, it was funny you brought up "Level Keep Us Alive." When you wrote that, did you when you co-wrote it? Were you like, "I'm going to write one for Timothy B. Schmidt to sing"? Did you have him in mind when you were writing it? How did that process come about? Well, no, I didn't have Timothy in mind because what it was um, before hell froze over, I was uh, <laughs> invited. I got a call out of the blue from Don Felder, and he said that he and Timothy and uh, Joe Walsh were kind of frustrated because they wanted to work. And uh, would I be interested in going over and, you know, seeing what came up, you know, write a few songs, make a few recordings and um, wow. maybe wow. put a that project together. And um, so I went over and I stayed with Felder and um, we we were writing songs and um, making recordings in, in Felder's little studio there with uh, Timothy, Don. Joe had bailed out at this point. I think he went to get himself together. And um, there was another guy called Max Carl from a band called, at the time he was in a band called 38 Special. 38 Special. Special. He's the vocalist on Second Chance. Oh, He's, my goodness. Well, he wrote that song too. I mean, he, he, Max, fantastic. I've, I've completely lost touch with him now. But, again, we had a lot of fun. He, he's a, Apart from being a very good singer, he's a very funny guy. <laughs> and we, had, we were in stitches after time doing this. <laughs> Thing. And it was it was happening. We had a nice sound. It was a big harmony sound, and um, they played some things to Irv Azoff, and he was saying, "Oh well, yeah, yeah, this is going to fly. Don't play this to anybody else. <laughs> it's you know we're going to get this, this could happen, you know." And I went over there that summer, which I think was about 1994, and we made a lot of demos and stuff, and 
then lo and behold, I turned up one time, having gone over from England, and they, it was a bit like, ah, yeah, um, Paul, oh. um, we need to have a little chat because <laughs> basically the, the Eagles were getting back together again. What? So that was kind of the end of that project. <laughs> wow. um, but then again, a few weeks later, um, I got a call from Timothy saying, you know, well, sorry about all that. And I said, oh, <laughs> fair enough, that's life, you know. And um, he said, but the song Love Will Keep Us Alive, um, he needed a song. And for, for, for the album, they needed one of a song that he was singing and they – he hadn't, um, you know, come up with anything that the band thought was acceptable. And uh, he said, can I do Love Will Keep Us Alive? Because before that, I was singing it. Okay. In the thing with Felder and uh, Timothy and Max, I, I sang that that song. Mm-hmm. I, I took that. That was one of the songs I took over and that we recorded in that um, band. It's written by Peter Vale, Jim Capaldi, and myself. It's a three-way song. So uh, yeah, I didn't mention that I uh, that we'd recorded it and I and I sang it. But anyway, of course we said yeah, go for it, <laughs> and um, we we were very pleased. It was it was a big you know radio record and uh, yeah, it's kind of their comeback song really. That was a wise decision yeah, to I let mean, them run with that. Yeah, that was yeah. the I believe that was the most played song in the U.S. in 1995. Huge hit. It was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. It's a big song. So not it's not a bad consolation for you know to, to no. be able to have that that kind of a <laughs> success with something no. you wrote. So that's great. Definitely not. Uh, so Definitely you, not. you've mentioned a lot of big you've surrounded yourself with like killer bands and supporting at, like everybody that you've been affiliated with is is very you've been brilliant in the way you put that together. Even like the most recent solo project you have, I think doesn't Robbie McIntosh and Steve Gadd, yeah. Clapton's drummer, play on it and Pee Wee mm-hmm. Ellis. So you've been like always surrounded by solid musicians um which I, that this is kind of a two-part question that's the first part and the second part is in the a stuff you had both guitar players could actually sing how nice was that having yeah. phil and Aunt and alan that could both carry the vocals even on how long the backing part is so strong so yeah that, well, that sort of high falsetto that's uh bam king uh-huh. alan, yep. king, alan bam king. king bam bam we called him but um <laughs> He had that great uh, high voice. It, it is a great. It was a great blend. Actually, I was the last to join. I was the last one in. Okay. Um, the two guitar players uh, that you mentioned, they formed the band, uh, and they used uh, originally Tex Coma, who you know is the guy I wrote the song um, "How Long About." Uh, they got together. I'd been in a band with Tex and another guy called Steve Witherington. So they were a four piece and they said, you know, what would be great is, is if we could have keys. And um, they said, well, we know a guy. <laughs> and so I turned up and in the beginning, you know, we were playing mostly either covers or songs written by Alan and Phil. Uh, and then I started to write songs and, you know, how long was one of the first songs really that I wrote. Wow. And, um, it, it as it turned out, I, I got quite into it, you know, the writing, and I had a little splurge. Of uh, I, it was at the time before anybody, there was no pressure. And I, was, I was just writing stuff all the time, and it, it came about that we were introducing them into the our little set, and um, when by the time we came to um, 
record the album, quite a lot of the songs I think are mine. I can't even remember what's on it. I mean, it was a long time ago. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but as you say, the blend was was great. It was really nice. Uh, you've had, I feel like part of our mission in talking to you and, and covering some of your stuff is uh, to help people come to the same realization that I had when, so I saw the the, the first time that I put the pieces together on Paul Carrick was when I saw you on tour with Eric Clapton uh, a few years ago here in Nashville. And, mm-hmm. um, and you did, I believe three songs over the course of that night. I think you did how long and I think you did tempted and then you closed mm. the encore set, uh, with, uh, yeah. high time we went. And I went, That's oh, right. gosh, who is this guy? You know, he's going, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm Googling, you know, who's Paul Carrick. And so that, and then I start to put your voice together with all these songs that I know and love and go, that's the same guy on all these songs. Um, it's mm. just, it was just, you know, kind of a mind blowing revelation. And so that's part of the, you know, part of our mission is to help people see like the importance of Paul Carrick in pop and rock music in the last, you know, 40, 50 years even. Um, but well, what is good it- luck with it, lads. Good <laughs> luck with it because that has been, that is the story of my life really. Um, um, the fact that I've written uh, song or, or or written some big hits, yeah. and uh, not tons, but some significant uh, pop hits. And um, but nobody knows my name really. That's I mean, wild. in the UK they do because I've really UK small. I started my own little label, I st- and producing my own stuff, and I just worked my butt off touring. Doing interviews, telling everybody that, you know, who's Paul Carrick? Uh, <laughs> how long? Um, the Living Years? Uh, oh, you sang that. Right. You know, so it's been a hard uh, slog. And I've got there in the UK, I, and I'm working all the time. Well, I was until this, you know, till the virus hit. Sure. Uh, I mean, I'm still working in my studio, but um, uh, but to try to do that, in the states, for example, I couldn't do it. It wouldn't. It's just too big, you know. Yeah. And um, I, I would never have that kind of profile. But you know, I'm happy with my lot. You know, I don't. I don't feel you know <laughs> victim or anything like that. But uh, it would have been great to have established myself a little more in the states because I just love being there and and playing and being on the road there. So um, that's a shame. It really but, is, and we're going to do our part to make sure all the people know. To, Everybody needs okay, to know better. Man. And to put it into uh, into perspective, how big that show was. Me and Rob were both at that show. It was so big that Clapton didn't even play Layla. It's like, <laughs> right? It's yeah. like, like, like we've got Paul Carrick. We don't need Layla. So there you go. Did he, so not, he didn't play did Layla. He didn't play it at all. At no. all. Me and Rob have joked about that for years. Like, remember the time we saw Clapton and he didn't play Layla, but Paul Carrick <laughs> well, was there. <laughs> For for a long uh, a lot of the time he he does the uh, acoustic version yeah yeah he didn't even didn't and even, um, didn't even you know hit. we're all I mean I mean it's when you get the set list and he's left out I shot the sheriff or <laughs> Layla and you think oh, you know but, <laughs> yeah but uh, um, I have one Amer uh, one United States question that I want to tie in if you can remember so one of my favorites off your solo stuff is don't shed a tear. The vi- mm-hmm. So the video, in, in part of the video, there's a girl that's, this is just for, uh, there's a big listener of our podcast, he's one of my friends, his parents live out near Coachella, 
Um, it's the mm. Quinns. Shout out to the Quinn family. Anyway, there's a girl leaning against this taco stand out there. <laughs> Do you remember? Was that shot in Coachella? That video for "Don't Shed a Tear." I have no idea. Oh, man. Oh, man. Because I was going to say, if it was, I was going to make my friends take me to that taco stand. I heard it. Where remember, is it? In, where, in where Coachella. Is it? That's in California. It's out uh, in California. Do you remember, did you shoot that out in the in the California area for Don't Shed I'm pretty Shed sure it? we did. I'm pretty sure okay. we did my bit. My bit. Okay. For sure. Your portion for sure. I, okay. I just did my bit, you know. Um, and I then they remember exactly what it where it was, but I'm sure it was in LA. Okay, that's that's close enough where I can use that to justify to get tacos at that taco store. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that was in the day. I mean that was quite a that went down quite well that that video at um, at the time. But it, you know it cost a load of money. Sure. <laughs> it yeah. probably cost a hundred thousand dollars or something, which nowadays is probably nothing. But I mean you could literally do that on your phone now. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, true. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, I have to ask, and, and you brought up the living years, which we actually covered in a, a, a previous episode. We did a whole episode on, on, uh, on that song just in itself. Um, so I've got to ask you about, uh, the living years and, and being in the original incarnation of, of Mike and the mechanics, um, and what all that has been like, how that, how that came about and what's that experience been like for you? Well, it was, it was, uh, Good on the whole, I would say. Um, uh, I mean, I haven't been involved for a good while now. I mean, right. I mean it's got to be ten or fifteen years. I don't, I don't know. But um, yeah, when I mean, to be honest, I in the mid eighties or the early eighties, I was in a band with Nick Lowe. We had a little uh, four piece band. We were basically. Um, I had left Squeeze to to be in a band with this guy nick and um we had a, again a, lo- a lot of fun probably too much fun but at the <laughs> time in the sort of 80s we our sound wasn't what was required on the radio it was low fi it was rock and roll uh you know uh skiffle um rockabilly and you know what was going down as you know was the sort of synth pop and the very polished sort of sound and um it it we had we had a lot of tours doing that we, we opened up for like people like tom petty the cars we were doing all these arena tours just doing our 30 40 minutes and uh doing miles and miles on the in buses and it, it got a little bit old and just as that was kind of coming to a, a, an end i got a call from mike rutherford asking if i had if I wanted to, uh, he was making an album, a solo album, but he, he, he eventually called it Mike and the Mechanics, but, uh, he, he didn't sing really. He, um, and he got in several on that first album several, uh, designated singers, so to speak. And I was one of them. And, um, I went down there and the first thing I did was uh, silent running or can you hear me? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people thinking. And, um, I thought, wow, this is great because I I was quite interested in doing something a bit contemporary and a bit uh, posh sounding. And um, so I went down there, recorded uh, three, four tracks, maybe five, I don't know. And um, it all went kind of quiet for a while. And then I got a call that, you know, it was being released, the album was being released and it came out in America and it, you know, caused it. Obviously, Mike 
being part of one of the biggest bands in the world at the time, Genesis. He was the guitar player, of sure. course, for any listeners who are not familiar. And um, that first release, Silent Running, it, it, yeah, it, it, it got tremendous um, airplay. And so Mike, be, being, as I say, one of the, in one of the most uh, important bands of the time, it, it was in a position, they had the infrastructure to put this little combo of Mike and the Mechanics on the road, put us on tour, and um, I think we made, I can't remember how many, four, five, six albums, and did the tours in between the Genesis stuff, which was fine for me because it meant I could do my other bits and pieces. Sure. And, um, you know, we had some success there. And the, the second album, of course, The Living Years, that, that a song I, I, I sang was number one in the States. We had Grammy nominations and all sorts for it. So uh, it was great, but it came to an end. We actually lost the other main vocalist in the band was a guy called Paul Young, not to be confused with that Paul Young. And and sadly, Paul passed away. And it kind of took the thing out of it, really. And um, after a year or two of trying to keep it together, I I decided that I I wanted to try and make my my own way, you know, basically, and, and concentrate on that. Got you. So, so, so as you said, there is a new incarnation of Mike and the Mechanics, but it's a completely new one. Basically. Right. Yeah. Um, so, ha- having having had success in multiple sort of arenas as part of several different uh, acts and bands, and as a solo artist, and even as a, a sideman and a studio musician, have you developed a, a preference as to how you like to work? Do you have a favorite way that you like to you know to make music, or or is it just you just love it all? Well, I do love it all, but there's several ways of of doing it. I do like being my own man and doing my own stuff, uh, unless it's with somebody like Eric Clapton, in which case, great. Not bad company. There to to support him. So I started to make albums myself, and, and I was playing most of the things myself. It was one of those situations, you know. Uh, even with my tape machine back in the day, I was doing that, waiting five minutes for the tape to rewind for every take. But, uh, you know, I, I play a little bit of everything. I'm not a virtuoso on anything. but So I have a way of somehow making a track hold together. It's not a very scientific process. It's not like I record the drums, then I record the bass, then I do the, and it's all like building blocks. It, it's a bit more, I don't want to sound pretentious, but a bit more like a sculpture because I'll start with a little nugget of an idea and develop it and play a bit of, play a bit of bass. And then I'll realize when I've put the guitar on that I need to change the bass. And then when I've done that, I might need to change the keyboard. So it's a bit of a long winded process, can be. Yeah. So that's the the attraction of working with a band is that it's much quicker. The uh, sure. you mentioned on kind of how you or your strength is putting pieces together on you did a thin line between love and hate on the Pretenders album Learning to Crawl. It's completely different than the Persuaders version. Did you, were you involved in the arrangement of this, or did you just play keys and sing on it, or were you helpful in integrating the sound and putting all the pieces together of that one? I don't think so. I think I, um, I think they pretty much had the track, and I think I came in and overdubbed the piano. 
Okay. Well, it's, which is probably quite an important part on the Absolutely. record, as I, as I recall. It's very prominent, it's very yes. It, it's very important. One other thing to tie in, going back to that, you were talking about some of your solo projects and solo things that you've done. My favorite album of yours is Rain or Shine, and you have a version mm-hmm. on there called, uh, or a version of If Loving You Is Wrong, which is a oh, cover yeah. of the great Luther Ingram song. Now, did you discover his version first or the Faces version first when you put together, like, do you remember which version you grew up on, yeah. so to speak, or cut your teeth yeah. on? Yeah, and it was it was neither of those. It was Bobby Bland, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. There we go. Well, there you go. There's your trivia for the day. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> because um, when, we were on, when, we, when we were on that uh, little uh, label anchor in London, they distributed all or a lot of the ABC catalog. And we would just like kids in a sweet shop because we would go down to the uh, cupboard and fill our boots, you know, with um, Bobby Bland, Steely Dan, uh, Rufus. Uh, So we had, you know, I had all those Bobby Bland albums. I didn't really know of him before that, but um, I just loved, loved him. And uh, in fact, I'm one of the sort of side projects I've got going at, at, at the moment is I have a um, an association with a big band um, oh, cool. from Germany, a 17-piece big band, a amazing um, band, amazing players. They're, they're predominantly a, a jazz stuff, and I've I've dipped my toe in that uh, quite a lot recently. But they they want to make like an R and B album. Oh, what we all you know, all what we used to call R and B. Sure. And um, we're hoping to do a couple of uh, Bobby Bland songs on, on that. You know, so very cool. Well, speaking of yeah. speaking of Germany, I, I saw a clip uh, that I did not know existed, but it was uh, it was you as part of the Roger Waters uh, presentation of the Wall in Berlin in 1990. Uh, and it was yeah. for anybody who hasn't seen it, you should definitely go look it up. You can find some clips. Uh, I know on online, um, and it's, I believe it's available through Ro- uh, Roger's website as a DVD. Uh, but oh, you, is it? I believe so. Um, but you saying, Hey, you as part of, mm-hmm. uh, as part of this massive stage show of the wall, what was it like? And there was, I think a quarter of a million uh, people there in mm-hmm. Berlin. And you got to think, you know, uh, that's the, that's the time of the, the, you know, the, the dismantling of the Berlin wall, East and West yep. Germany being reunited, all that. Uh, what kind of environment was that? What was that experience like being at that point in history doing the wall in Berlin? Scary. Really? Really? <laughs> a lot of people. It was a lot of people. Uh, it's interesting you say quarter of a million because that's how I, re- what I was told at the time, you know, but it seems like now it's going 300,000, uh, half a million, you know, 600,000. Right. <laughs> <Sure. laughs> yeah. That's amazing. But um, no, it was a massive deal. Funnily enough, um, I was there either last year or the year before with Eric Clapton. And we actually stayed in a hotel, which is on, I didn't even realize, it was on that site. Oh, really? And you wouldn't, you because at the time, it was it was what they called no man's land. Yeah. You know, it was the bit between east and west after they tore the wall down, I guess. And um, But now it was just like this hotels, um, restaurants, and it, it, that was pretty bizarre. But anyway, going back to the actual... There is a bit of a story, and I don't know how much 
time you got left, guys. Go for but, it. But um, how it came about, because I, I, I you know, I'd obviously I pl- knew Roger. I'd toured with him on the Radio Chaos yeah. uh, album, his, his solo album, and um, done a few bits and pieces for him. And uh, <clears throat> I was actually in the, in the studio with Mike and the Mechanics at the time, and I got this call from Roger. And he began to tell me about this incredible project that he was putting together. And it was going to be fantastic. And it's going to be on plot, um, you know, in Berlin. And there are going to be cranes building this wall, and there'll be helicopters and actors and things. And, and after about 20 minutes, he said to me, So the reason I'm calling, he said, uh, Have you got Huey Lewis's phone number? <laughs> Yes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and I said, uh, well, yeah, I, I think I do, you know. And I said. Uh, that's so funny. I said, what, what about me? Any chance? Like he said, well, you're not really famous enough. You know? Oh, what? <laughs> no. Well, no, that's fair enough. No, that that's fair. That's fair. But um, anyway, <laughs> so I gave him Huey's number. I don't think Huey did it, though. but. Um, Mm. And that was the end of that. And yeah. then That's right funny. 10 days before <laughs> this show, I got a call from Roger and he was having a few problems with some of his guests. You know, I'm not going to name any names. I don't even really <laughs> know who the names are, but uh, I, I have my suspicions. But um, <laughs> he said, so what I would like you to do, and he, he gave me a list of about six songs. And he said, if you could listen to these and, you know, get a handle on them just in case there's any problems. Wow. And literally two days before the show, I got the call to go out there. No kidding. And to learn, Hey, you, and I think one other song at that point. And I arrived and he said, you know, I wanted to sing Hey You. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and Pink Floyd fans will know that's a monster. That's, that's yeah. a big, uh, that, yeah, that, yeah. That's like asking to sing, uh, if, if you're in a Mike and the Mechanics cover band, that's like them saying, can you carry the living years right. and all I need is a miracle <laughs> for yeah. us? It's like, well, sure, no problem. That's another story. Somebody has that job at the moment. <laughs> uh, that's true. That's a good point. Oh, uh, <laughs> Paul, you've been great. And we actually, uh, we reached out to you before Huey Lewis. So you're that's on, right. you're, we, we, we pick you. Right. Um, one question that we ask everybody. Um, so you're on tour you're uh, you're traveling, and you go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? Um, I'll tell you what mine is while you're thinking on it. I get a Three Musketeers bar because um, when I was growing up, my mom would say you could get any candy bar you want, and it's the most ounces uh, for the money. <laughs> so I go Three Musketeers bar. What is your gas station snack food of choice? Well, to be boring, you know, I try to avoid that because uh, – I'm a short guy. Okay. I, I'm already a little bit overweight. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's one of the things I can usually, you know, sacrifice. I'd rather have 
a nice glass of red wine in the evening okay. for my calories okay. than a chocolate bar. So okay. I'm lucky in that sense. But, you know, I would I would have something very boring and probably healthy, okay. like something with nuts in it or something. That's but, a more common answer yeah, than you think. You think true. that's off the radar, but a lot of people say the same thing. So yeah. props to you guys yeah. out there being healthy. Me and Rob <laughs> on the other end are going complete opposite. Yes, we're picking up whatever sugar-filled nonsense we can find and devouring it. To be honest, if I do crack, it's a thing we have over here called bounty, a bounty bar. Okay, there we go. We love hearing about snack foods that we don't have here in the States. We got introduced to a walnut whip by uh, Clark Dashler. Dashler I don't know if they're still going. That used to be the height of decadence when I was a kid. Okay. Every now and again, a walnut whip would arrive, and believe me, that was a tr- that was a special treat. <laughs> <laughs> Man, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a real treat. No, it's a pleasure. I'm sorry about the uh, uh, mistake earlier on. Oh, dude, right. no problem. No problem. Made, right. made for a great story. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> all right, man. All right, thank you. Thanks. All the best. All right, bye bye. Bye. This is the Great Song Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. That was Paul. Carrick. Oh, man, so cool, so fun. I don't know what else to tell you <laughs> other than that was Paul Carrick, and we're so happy about it. Um, all right, I want to do one more thing before we go today, and that is we're going to play a game, but this <laughs> week I'm going to flip the script. <laughs> we didn't have a game prep. We, we just decided to book into this one like last minute. I was like, we got a few minutes, Rob. Let's book into the, uh, the end of the Ace episode because we had a break, and he's like, you got a game? I'm like, no, nah, I don't have a game. Rob's like, I'll come up with a game. <laughs> so... I'm going to flip the script and play. We're going to play Stump the Genius, but on JP. But the genius is going to do the stumping. (laughs) And we've got the guy that normally hits the button on the other side. Here we go. All right, so here we go. These are from the... uh, Let's play the jingle. Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. It's time to stump the genius. Jump up and take your part. I take your part. All right. These will be from the year 1974. (laughs) uh, And these will be artists that... I could have told you their names, uh-huh. but, but I don't think, think JP can. For those okay. of you guys that haven't heard us play Stump the Genius, I came up with this game back on the Rupert Holmes episode in the earlier part of this year. And uh, we, the yeah, the, the thing is we pick a category or a year, and it's an, typically an artist that I will know the name of and know the song, but I don't think Rob will. Um, and so now he's flipping the script, yep. and he's going to put me in the hot seat, and so. it is uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, the pressure. The pressure. It, 1974. I'm sweating. Here we go. So let's start with this one. I think you might know this one, but uh, let's, let's try and see. Oh, yeah. Redbone. Oh, okay, Come and get your love. I know Redbone, that one boom. Like, right out the gate. All right. So. Okay. I love this song. Okay. I love they, the song. Uh, I just didn't know if you would know the artist. Yeah, they actually, uh, the lead singer has passed um, because I wanted to try to get him. Okay. Uh, so I had an advantage on that. But I okay. like Redbone. I love Come and Get Your Love. Great right. song. Here's one. I one get, for one. JP here, with a point. Here you go. Try this one. I frequently get this one wrong. I'll be honest. Oh, yeah. Rock on. Yeah. David Essex. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't be playing this game. <laughs> this is such a cool song. I love this song. Okay. All right. Let's see what else we Two got. for two. Man, alive. Um, you won't get this, but I'll give you a, I'll give you a, I'll give you a point for it. 
uh, if you can tell me what Christian artist covered it. Oh, my goodness. You might get it just off the voice. Oh man, I, I know that voice. But fate's been kind. Can you get to a chorus? Yeah. The downs, as you could say. Sounds like Gladys Knight. It's Gladys Knight. Is it Gladys Knight? Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> but I don't know the song. I don't know the song. And so I won't. So Shirley is, Caesar, I don't know. That is that is the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, oh, and actually, uh, Lyndall Cooley has a version oh, of it. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, have got that. Wow. My favorite but, worship yeah, I just recognize the voice, but I don't get the song. But I'm gonna give myself credit because I guess no. the artist. Yeah, you Does got the, Yeah, okay. you got the artist. That's what the okay, point that's what is the technically game is for. for. Okay, so yeah, three, three for three. Okay, all right, man, you are you are crushing this. Okay, in my seventies. Uh, <laughs> all right, this is a good one and great song. I think you might hate this song actually. I feel like you might have told me you hate this song. But if you tell me who it is, you can tell me. I've been driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. I like it. You know the song? I don't know, I should. It's one of those things where you're on the pressure seat. You yeah. <laughs> Obviously, if I hear the chorus, I'll know it. And it's a half past four, and I'm shifting gear. I don't know. I'm no. George Thurgood and the Destroyers. You'll know. <laughs> Radar Love is. Uh, Any guesses? Motorhead. I don't know. Radar Love. Motorhead. Yeah. That is Golden Earring. Golden Earring. Oh, golden man. Earring. Come on, Mosier. Radar Love by Golden Earring. Man. Okay. Uh, Good job. Okay. Three for four. My problem is there's a lot of these that I don't know the artist either. Oh, okay. so, like, yeah. That, make, that's, that makes it tough to find the one that you uh, that you know. Yeah. Okay, let me let me do this one. I, I, you're going to know this. You're going to know this, but just in case. You're going to know this is right away. <laughs> You gotta have something. Oh my goodness. If you wanna be with me. No, I don't know who does it. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. Oh my god. You gotta have something. If you wanna be with me. Oh man. I got I don't know. That would be Billy Preston. Oh yeah. Billy oh, Preston. Oh man, great job, Rob. Stuff in the gene. Man, I came out the gates excited. You three did. I was three. like, wow, he's gonna smoke this. Like, oh man, and then you miss two that you know. You know when you hear it, you're like, of yep. course. Yep. Uh, and you know, great job, great job, Rob. Flipping the script. Thanks, Paul Carrick, <laughs> for hanging out with us. Thank <laughs> you guys. I can't believe we just said that. I right? know, right? And uh, thank you, listeners, for hanging out with us. Yeah. Tis the season. Merry Christmas, Merry, coming yeah. around the corner. That's right. Yeah. We got our special. Uh, 
Christmas episode coming up next week. Next week, you guys with a very special guest. Should we go ahead and say? Yeah, it doesn't matter. You tell me. (laughs) Okay, let's do it. I'm so excited. Dave Barnes is back. Okay, Dave Barnes. Dave Barnes is back on the show. Dave Barnes is back. Yay! To join us to talk about Wham's last Christmas. Oh man, it's going to be big fun times, y'all. We're so excited. We actually recorded it today, and it's you guys are going to. Oh, we had so much fun. It's going to be great. Uh, Check us out on socials. And anywhere you go, slash Great Song Pod, Twitter, Instagram, yeah, Facebook. Um, if you want to get yourself a shirt, you can go to big bigcartel.com slash Great Song Pod or go to greatsongpodcast.com. If you want to go the extra mile and support the show on Patreon and help us to finance the show and be able to make more episodes and do more things with the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Great Song Pod. Check out the different options we uh, we offer there, and get yourself some uh, some bonus goodies by becoming a patron. And uh, man, but you know what? My favorite thing about Patreon, I think so far, has been that it gives us a place. It becomes a repository for like stuff that we can't necessarily put in the main show. That, that it's like a repository. Auditory. Thank you uh, for like if we have like outtakes or something that's just too silly to leave in the show, we get to throw some of that stuff in Patreon for for the people who support the show. And it's a it's a it's a smaller, more selective audience that you know we don't feel like uh, we don't feel as bad about being embarrassed in front of. So uh, we get to throw that in there and uh, bonus episodes, weekly bonus episodes, not to mention full episodes um, that that are um, you know a, a promise to our patrons. So thank. Thank you for everybody who is supporting us there on Patreon. And if you would like to do that and support the show, you can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash great song pod. And we'll be back next week with our Christmas episode with David McKee Barnes. <laughs> there you go. And uh, I can't wait. That's good stuff. Until then, I'm Rob. I'm JP. Go listen to some music.